0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Well, the answer is less than 20 minutes. Some of you may have caught that. It sounds like an opening question on Jeopardy, where you get the answer before you get the question. But the sermon title, of course, is, How Long, O Lord, Must This Sermon Run? And in case you're wondering, especially with the fragrance of tri-tip wafting in, it'll be just shy of 20 minutes. But I tell you what, that's not the sermon to which I was referring in the title actually. No, I meant the sermon that God's prophet Habakkuk was preaching from our Old Testament reading this morning. Habakkuk's sermon is a bit unusual. You see, he is unique among the Old Testament prophets in that you never actually see him deliver a message to God's people. Instead, he mainly speaks directly to God as he starts in on behalf of the people now. How long shall I cry for help, O Lord? And you will not hear. There's violence going on down here to your people. And Lord, you don't seem to be doing anything about it. That's Habakkuk's first of two complaints that he files with God. Will you not save your people from the hands of the money grabbers and power brokers who have nestled themselves into their cozy little seats within this paralyzed legal system of ours? Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? I guess you could say Habakkuk comes by his role honestly. His name in the Hebrew means embracer and he is embracing the needs of the poor and addressing the injustices levied against the lowly people of Judah. Martin Luther, in his prologue to the Old Testament book, describes Habakkuk's role this way. Habakkuk certainly has an appropriate uh, name to his office, one who embraces another and takes him in his arms. This is what he does in this prophecy. That is, he comforts the people and supports them as one embraces a weeping child or a distraught person to quiet and compose him with the assurance that things will go better if God so will. This cry, how long you can sense it, it's a heartfelt one. And it's certainly not the first time that we encounter in scripture, is it? Perhaps, like me, it puts you in mind of the children of Israel, languishing under the iron fist of Egypt's harsh Pharaoh. By the time Moses comes along, they'd been enslaved for some 400 years, and their cry went up, How long, O Lord, must your people suffer this great oppression, breaking our backs? And the Lord heard their cry, it says back there in the book of Exodus. Likewise, God shows up here too to answer Habakkuk's cry, but it's not with the answer that the prophet wants to hear. Far from it, in fact. And it gives rise to Habakkuk's second complaint to go. But listen first to what God says when he shows up to answer his prophet. Our reading stops at verse 4, unfortunately, But in chapter 1, verse 5, God says to Habakkuk, Look, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. It's as if God were saying, look, you wanted an answer, Habakkuk, as to what I'm up to. Well, you got it and you're not going to like it. Verse 6, dishes on the details. The Lord says, Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, Babylon, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God essentially says to Habakkuk, you wanted to break up those power structures and clean house in Judah, drain the swamp or whatever you want to call it, well, brace yourself because they're coming your way. Then the following verses in chapter 1 go on to describe the dreaded and fearsome armies of the Chaldeans, who historically at this time had just defeated the Assyrians. The friendly Assyrians, who were the ones that wiped out the ten northern tribes of Israel in God's judgment against them. Now these Chaldean marauders are on their way to crush Judah with quote horses swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. I take it that's when they're hungry that they want to eat. God describes them this way to Habakkuk. It sounds like an invading army of orcs and Urukai from a frightening scene out of the Lord of the Rings, but this is no fiction. God's not kidding around with his straight answer given here to his prophet Habakkuk. This, in fact, is the beginning of the end for Judah. Judah, who unbeknownst to all but Habakkuk now, are on the brink of the Babylonian captivity, which will take place in 587 BC. Sometimes you really don't want to know what God is up to seems to me Job learned that lesson as well when he brought some charges against God himself. And as I said, and as you might imagine, this divine plan revealed now to Habakkuk in chapter 1 gives rise to the prophet's second complaint to God now that he knows about this looming storm of judgment that God's sending Judah's way. What is Habakkuk's second complaint? Put simply... Dear God, how could you? Remember his first complaint was, How long, O Lord, will you stand idly by? And now that he's learned of God's behind-the-scenes working, this prophet who embraces the concern of his people asks respectfully, mind you, God, how could you do this terrible thing? Verse 13 continues, You, O God, Are of purer eyes than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In other words, Habakkuk knows he was just complaining about all the injustices served upon Jews by fellow Jews, and that was bad. Bad, yes. But none, he says, in Judah are as evil as this invading horde of heathens from Babylon, the, one that, the ones that God is raising up to destroy Judah with. In Habakkuk's eyes, then, God should be even more offended by and more vengeful toward these plundering polytheists ramaging into their territory. More so than... The mere minor league sinners in Judah, by comparison. At this point, God could have told his prophet to be careful what you ask for, but he didn't. Instead, God tells Habakkuk to run, run with the sermon run long, run hard, and write this message large on tablets of stone, an ancient billboard, if you will, so that anyone going by in a hurry hurry, can read it and in turn pass along the message themselves. Here I have to give a shout out to our trustees and our handy head trustee here because I can't help but think of all the people whisking by our Peace Lutheran Church, our new Peace Lutheran Church sign, on Las Posas, as people are zipping by at 45 miles an hour and able to read what time our services are, written large, so that those in a hurry can still get the message. And we hope, in turn, visit us so we can share our message of hope in Christ with them as well. And in all of this, there is a message of hope somewhere. Just like the message God gave Habakkuk, this message of hope in all this is going to astound you and cause you to wonder. That's because it is, again, not what you would expect. It's never what you would expect with our great God of wonders. Habakkuk was right, and God told him so, that the evil perpetrated by the Babylonians did, in fact, need to be dealt with. And God saw to it after his own divine purposes were served by the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, their own empire, the so-called Neo-Babylonian Empire, was overthrown in relatively short order in 539 B.C. And so we see the rising and the falling of nations continuing through history down to the present day. But it's all according to God's timeline. This is just as God tells Habakkuk in chapter 2. This is one of our verses now. Verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God's timing is not our timing. The Lord has all sorts of plans and plays that he's putting into position according to his own inscrutable will. But what God tells the prophet next, this is for you and me today to take home. Behold, the enemy is always puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by his faith. Take that one down and commit it to your memory. St. Paul sure did. St. Paul quotes that verse, Habakkuk 2.4, not once but twice in Romans and then in Galatians. And it also shows up in Hebrews 10.38 in that wonderful section which extols the virtue of faith and points out that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Concerning faith, Jesus during his earthly ministry had one of his own how long questions that he cried out. But it was, oh, faithless generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Later, Jesus also asked this probing question concerning faith. When the Son of Man comes will he find faith on earth? That's in Luke 18. No doubt. It's hard to have faith for the long haul, especially as violence and the prosperity of the wicked continue right down to our present day. It was very difficult for Habakkuk to receive this oracle from the Lord. But in the final chapter of the book that bears his name at last, Habakkuk confesses, O Lord, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. Then he adds, In wrath, remember mercy. In your wrath, O Lord, remember mercy. I love that line. That's a great line. That's a great prayer. Judah was carried off into exile for 70 years by Babylon. But in Babylon, God raised up another prophet, Daniel, and others still like him as part of a remnant who kept the faith. They were exiled, yes, but they kept the faith. And finally, this brings me to the Evocative painting that's included. I believe it's page seven. Maybe you passed over it in your bulletin, but I want to turn your attention to that right now on page seven of your bulletin. That painting printed there. It's really a rather sad depiction. If you look at it close, you'll notice it's of a neighborhood church burning down. And it's reminiscent of all the kinds of suffering that we've been talking about this morning where God's people cry out for all the injustices and cruelties that this world doles out. This painting was done by a Houston African-American artist, John Biggers, way back in 1966. Today, tragically, we hear not only of fires, but also shootings in churches that take the lives of God's people. But if you haven't already noticed in the painting, I want to draw your attention now to the one gentleman in the painting who's looking beyond the tragedy at hand that everyone else is noticing. He's looking the opposite way. He's looking toward the future with hope. The little light of his lantern in his hands shining out to comfort, to embrace like Habakkuk did all those who are experiencing this loss. It's as if this man's message, like Habakkuk's message is, all is not lost. We may not understand everything that's happening right now, true, but we can still trust. We can still believe that God is working out all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In the fullness of time, Long after Habakkuk's own bones were laid to rest, God put into play this elaborate plan to deal definitively with all evil for all time and for all eternity and for all people who would repent and believe. Habakkuk thought God's other plan in his day was a wild one. This new one, in this new one, God himself comes down in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ. And the Son then subjects himself to both sinful Jews and sinful Gentiles, but this time not Babylonians, but Romans, whose empire was even greater than Babylon the Great. And the Romans devise an even greater, more exquisite torture instrument whereby they put to death Jesus, the Son of God, on a cross but only, only as Jesus himself told Pilate, the Roman governor, of his own accord. And then Jesus, three days later, takes up his life again of his own accord after suffering for the sins of the world, his passion, all the wrongs. All the cruelty, all the abuse, all the greed, the power grabbing, the oppression, all the institutionalized evil. Jesus paid the ransom price for all of it, for all time, paid in full. It's all done for you. And it comes through a wafer and some wine, his body and blood for you. He does this because he knew we would just keep falling and crying and hurting each other over and over and over again until kingdom come. But his way, the gospel way, allows him to be both just, the just Lord, and the one who justifies sinners who have faith in him. Faith. There's that word again. Embrace it. Won't you be found to have faith in him when he comes again? Won't you run with this message to all who still need to hear it and repent and believe? God grant it to be so. Amen. And now may he who began a good work in you bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.